We made this. Right then, Chris, what would you say were your top three vehicles from the films we've reviewed so far? Hmm. It's a very good question, because we've had all sorts of varied modes of transport. We have, yeah. So, firstly, you've got Gus. <laughs> who, yeah, you know, all right, yeah. He wasn't used as transport, but he could have been. Yeah. Especially if there was some farmland that needed sowing. I'm sure there was at least one scene that had someone sat on him at one point. It must have been, yeah. yeah. Um, and then how about a surfboard from Meet the Deedles? <laughs> Oh, that that classic. Yeah, yeah. Hey, right. We just expect to be to name a bunch of car chases here. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and last one we'll have a car, which of course is the Nomobile. Oh. <laughs> in terms of like impact it's had on this show, I guess the, the most impact is definitely from the Nomobile. The Nomobile. The Nomobile. The Nomobile. Driving oh. along in the Nomobile. Yeah, the Nomobile. Nomobile. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> I don't know what mine are actually. Yeah, think... so what are your top three favourite vehicles? Um without looking at the episode list. Okay, first up, Condor Mobile. Oh of course, yes. Just because it looked pretty cool. Yeah. I like the paint job on yeah. that. Um You kinda have to say Herbie. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. I know you weren't reviewing that one, but Yeah, I did see it, in all fairness. I've got to enjoy it. We've got more of that series to review. I know, we? I've seen the schedule. Yeah. Um and the third one. Uh, I, now, I missed a big hitter in favour of comedy. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, you got the bobsled from Cool Runnings. Rasta Rocket. Yeah, the Rasta Rocket. <laughs> that's got to be... Well, that's pretty iconic. Yeah. In all fairness. Yeah, fuck it. Or you've also got the... What was it? The craptacular car from the uh, computer wore tennis shoes. I can't remember what it was now. It was like a bloody... Oh, the weird, like, June buggy thing. Yeah, that's a June yeah. buggy. Didn't he, like, have a... Oh, it had flowers flower, on hippie. it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's definitely it. The hippie-mobile. The hippie the hippie-mobile. We're driving <laughs> along in the hippie-mobile. Don't shrink us or make us invisible. Don't make us clever. The hippie-mobile. Yes. <laughs> yeah, all right. That's my three, then. Yeah. Preamble done. Preamble done. <laughs> I have a foolproof way. I, I guarantee that I'm going to read this out correctly. Okay. <laughs> Is this a recording? Welcome to About a Mouse, a podcast where we watch and review the obscure and forgotten live-action Disney films on the hunt for a hidden gem. <laughs> I'm Chris, and joining me as always is Tim. Hello, Tim. <laughs> Hi, Chris. Did you record... Is that from another episode, or have you literally recorded yourself? I, I recorded it in a car when I got <laughs> in from work, so I... <laughs> Well, at least it's word for word. It yeah, is, yeah. Very good. I finally did it. <laughs> it's only taken you a year and a bit. Yeah. <laughs> but I read it out loud, live and in person. Absolutely. So how are you? Yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm feeling pretty good now that I've managed to overcome that massive barrier in my life, that introduction. <laughs> 
I'm just going to copy and paste that clip into every uh, every episode from now on, so you don't have to hold it up to the mic. Now, what I want to do at some point is to make a soundboard, so you don't actually need me here for any of the view. You just press a few buttons, and it's all quite cohesive. Yeah, that would. We wouldn't need very many phrases that you say. Would Not we? really. No. Just yeah, at the beginning of every sentence, and I should do it. <laughs> Lots of ums from me if it was uh, the if Tim soundboard, the unedited version. <laughs> You literally spend four hours of time getting out all the ums. Yeah. That's all editing this podcast is, getting rid of the ums and the yes. Yep. Um. <laughs> <laughs> See? <laughs> um. How have you been, Tim? Um, well, I, we saw each other yesterday, actually, didn't we? We did, indeed. I, I came down to your work and yes. saw you. Which is not bad, considering you're in Disneyland at the minute. Oh, yeah, that's true, yeah. It was, a, it was a long, uh, long trek for me. Yeah. Uh, and now you've gone straight back again. You recorded this over Skype. And you were complaining that you were having a really stressful day. Yes. Um, I think mine actually ended up more stressful than yours by the end of it. I read about this on Twitter. Yes, so I got served, essentially. Oh, good. Got my got a letter through to say that this lady that crashed into my motor vehicle last year is going to take me to court to say it was my fault. Okay. So that's fun. When I... Right away. She's saying it was my fault, so... Well, you've got to be careful what you say. It could be done for libel. That's it, yeah. So most of this is actually going to get cut out of the episode. Yeah, I but... can say what I want. What a cunt. <laughs> this, this will be a lot of bleeping out. Yes. <laughs> just because just of swearing. I'll have to find a censorship sound. Yeah, I, I know a couple. I'll, I'll send you them later on. Mm-hmm. It's just basically, instead of cunt, it's CUNT! And I ba- basically, I barely slept last night because I was just absolutely fuming mad. I bet. And going over it all in my head. Is it, is it going to cost you money then in legal fees and all that shit? So, I was really worried that it would. And I spoke to my solicitor's team today. Mm. And they said that, luckily, like, even if I'm found to be at fault, which I won't be, um, that I don't have to pay out of pocket. Oh, so it, it, it's covered by my insurance, essentially. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. yeah. But obviously that means if if we do get decided it's our fault, our insurance is going to go through the roof, especially fair since enough. we've just added Kirsty on the insurance because yeah. she's just learned to drive. So I think, I uh, hope that she's just trying to call your bluff. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. and you're, you're going to be like, oh, no, 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 it was your fault. I, mean, I think she's just trying to get down her insurance premiums, but well, you wait. take the blame instead. And, and I think if you proceed with it, which it sounds like you will, she'll back off right away. Well, when she sees the evident pile of evidence that I'm putting up for it, she will definitely back down. Yeah. One of the other things that she's claiming is that um, I caught by having my car. You know what does cause lots of expense? Crashing into someone's car. Yeah, and then taking them to court over it. Yeah. So that won't be in your top three vehicles. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. Can I have my book back, please, Daisy? Oh, yeah. So we're joined in the studio this week again by Daisy. She's the, sitting on my notebook at the minute. The official without a mouse cat. And that's the reason why we are without a mouse. She yes, ate it. Absolutely. I've got a cat at home. She's going to be jealous. Do you want to read it? Look. That's what we're talking about today. I bet she can read the intro better than I can. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. So. Uh, today, we are going to tackle a bigger hitter, shall we say, but in probably the wrong way. So, this <laughs> is John Carter from 2012. Let them be crushed. 
When I saw you, I believed that something new can come into this world. You are John Carter of Earth? Yes, ma'am. Destroy our city. That don't look like a fair fight. You are ugly, but you are beautiful. You will fight for us! Get on. We did not cause this. But this very night, we will end it! It's too late once. I won't be again. Why did you pick this film again? Um, because I thought it'd be really interesting to analyse about why it's one of the biggest box office bombs ever. Yeah. <laughs> now, to point out, it's not the biggest Disney box office bomb ever. Right. That is The Lone Ranger, which came out a year later. Yeah. But I think that the reason why Disney is how it is now, which is basically just a hoover upper of other people's assets, is a combination of these two films bombing so badly that I suddenly became afraid of trying anything remotely new ever again. Yeah, and to be honest, to be fair to Disney, we criticise all the time that that's what they're doing now, is just churning out same old stuff and remakes and rehashes. But at the same time... Every time they've tried to do something unique in the last 10 years, it has bombed. Yeah. Absolutely everything. Yeah, yeah, because there's other examples as well. One, which I'll get into very shortly, in relation to the title of the film. But um, it's a thing with Disney, though, because they're such this massive corporation, they're not thinking for a script, okay, we've read this, we'll put £60 million behind it. But like with John Carter, for filming and all that lot alone, this is $250 million worth yeah. on, on the screen. And of course, that cost doesn't include anything like promotional, no, you know, advertising, anything like that. So the number's close to probably four hundred million. Which you're never going to recoup on a on a new project. You can, and there's been examples of, but for something like this, it's an unknown quantity, isn't it? So it is to most people. It is to the people we're trying to market it towards because yeah. uh, John Carter was written uh, like the novels. I can't remember the name of it now. I've not got Wikipedia in front of me. But it's like a, uh, a series of adventure novels, I believe, by Edgar Rice Burroughs, hence the character name in here, in the like, 1800s. Right. And in the li- literary world, it was the Star Wars of its day. Which is probably why half the time this film looks like Star Wars. That's because Star Wars nicked most of their stuff from this <laughs> idea. Right, okay. Uh, so that's one of the issues right away. All the big extraordinary stuff in this film has been pilfered by you George Lucas, you Steven Spielbergs, because, you know, they grew up reading this. Yeah. And, you know, it was one of their bigger inspirations in their, especially their earlier work. Before we actually get into the film, I watched it on Disney Life again, mm-hmm. the app, which will be defunct by the time this episode goes live. Probably, oh, yes. Yeah. Probably. So, uh, no, but by the time this comes out, because uh, Disney... Plus, plus. plus. Yeah, I always got it wrong. Man. Disney Plus is out on March twenty fourth, so 
R.I.P. Disney Life. You yeah. will not be missed. You were terrible. Uh, we probably will do a podcast extra at some point where we both review the new thing. Yeah, we can do. Well, I, I'm going to have a look at it at least. I might, cool. I might not keep it because I get feeling that we went off the Simpsons on there. But yeah, but um, when you watch it on the Disney Life app, whenever you watch a film, it has a short sort of description that comes up every time you pause it. Yep. So uh, I wrote it down because not knowing where this film was going to go, I just wanted to read it first and then come back to it later. It said, a heroic, inspirational adventure that will thrill beyond imagination. These descriptions of this app are very vague. Yeah, this could literally be talking about any action film ever. Yeah, it literally could be Wonder Woman. But what what stood out for me was the use of the word inspirational, as if like... Is he? I know, exactly. I thought, I'll write it down, and then by the end, I'll, we'll go back and yeah. decide if that was the, if that was true or not. Inspirational maybe is, I wish I was that bland, that old, incapable of thinking about anything, therefore making life easier on my brain, maybe. But <laughs> other than that, I don't think that's the correct word. No. So... After our ridiculously long parent trap that we sat through last time, we're on for another long one. Not quite as long, but two hours and 11 minutes yeah. for John Carter. But this time, uh, we've had to actually make notes instead of just remember what happened with the podcast before. So Yes, and my God. Um, How many pages of notes have you got this time, so Tim? This takes the cake for the, the award for the most notes I've had to write because it's a very, very dense film, even though it's two hours long. I've written 18 pages of notes. Fucking hell. So we're going to have to really speed through this tonight. Uh, by comparison, I've got two and a half pages. But A, I only write in keywords. Yeah. And B, this is the second time I've seen John Carter in five weeks. I actually watched this with my family on Christmas Day. Yeah. Or was it Boxing Day? E- either or. And we recorded this today on February 5th. So, spoilers. I okay, can... Faye, I should say. I can imagine that this film works a lot better when you don't have a pen and paper in your hand. It's It feels like a Sunday afternoon kind of have on in the background and not really I'd say pay that so, much yeah. attention to. Yeah, it, It's one of those... I think it's probably designed to be that big adventure film, you know, like stick it on Channel 4 on a Sunday afternoon and just sit there, relax. I think it was designed in that old sort of way, but... Well, it's your film. You can kick it off. Okay, then. So, to begin with, we get a shot of Mars and a load of spiel about it and references to Danga and uh, Gilly or something like that. And immediately, uh, what you're going to get in this film is a load of nonsense words. Which never, ever make sense to you by the end of the film. No. It's not like Star Wars where each, each word just sounds like garbage. Um, and are indecipherable from each other as well. Yeah. So I hadn't a clue what any dialogue was about half the time. <laughs> you, you get lost very easily. I get the feeling if they were able to expand this universe, if it's a caught on the way they wished it would, then these words be as common knowledge as all your different words in Star Trek, Star Wars, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But obviously we didn't get there. So here... Unfortunately, they tr- they've crammed too many into the opening... They have, yes. Series, haven't they? Uh, they should have just said a bunch of Welsh words. It would have made about as much sense. Yeah. Um, so anyway, never mind about that. Uh, firstly, we get our first action sequence right away. A good old uh, fight between two steam- steampunk spaceships. Yes. So it turns out that we've got two cities on Mars that are at war, yes. essentially. Um, the Predator City, which I still can't tell you what it was called. Is that one with the aliens in? 
no. The... Oh no. So there's ones called Helium, is which it? is the good guys. It's good guys, and then the bad guys. Um... Their, their city m- walks, but I can't tell you what it's called. No, I've got, I've got... <laughs> no, I, I didn't get it. No, um, but there is all. Yeah, as you said, there's also a race of aliens. Yes. Which have their own city. So we're already complicating things by the fact that we've got good guys and bad guys that look like humans, but we've also got. Neutrals that are alien. Yes. And, yeah. And we've got Earth as well to come. And yes. Another space alien race in there as well in the middle, I think. Oh, yes. That also look like humans, just to make it even more confusing. Correct. But they're a different race. The, yes. way, the way you know that these are a different race is that they're dressed like monks all the time, essentially. So I just called them the monkey men for the rest of the notes that I made. That's probably racist. Probably. The thing that's established in this opening bit is you've got Dominic West there, this all-conquering sort of soldier trying to take over a good guy city. Yeah. And then Mark Strong appears. <laughs> I, I'm going by actor names here. Yeah, I am, you've I'm, got to. I've, you've got to. And he appears to give him some sort of veiny wanking glove. I said it looked like one of those 3D pens. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like all this blue like spider web that covers his hand and then he can shoot lasers. It looks like someone jammed their hand in a 3D printing machine. Exactly. (laughs) So it's like this veiny sort of, I know, like, it reminded me, and you might not get this because it's sport, but <laughs> but I'm sure there was a structure in the Olympic Village during London 2012. Yeah, there was. Yeah, like the red thing. Absolutely. It yeah. looks like that on someone's forearm. Colour it blue and stick your fist through it. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he puts this on and it makes him very powerful. And then if this wasn't complicated enough, we then go straight to New York City in 1881. Of course, of course. Which I was not expecting at all. Um, no, so it's uh, it, we've got here is um, Taylor Kitsch. I think it pronounces Kitsch, Kitsch, Kitsch. I think it's Taylor Kitsch. Uh, the one who they tried to make a big film star and it didn't work out because of this. <laughs> and Battleship was the other film. Oh, both, right. Both released in the same year, both fucking bombed. Yeah. And he's hardly had any work since. Bless him. This, this is a... Uh, comes up again later on with someone who hasn't had any work since. <laughs> so he's in the rain, he's avoiding a man who's like stalking behind him yeah. because he's got to send a telegram to someone. And then wouldn't you know it in the next step? Oh, he's dead. Yeah. End of film. <laughs> so yeah, his his nephew, Ned John this is John Carter who is playing <laughs> he, he talks like this. Yeah, he's very gruff. And I hate that about action films, because no one ever talks like this in real life. I'm Canadian. He actually is Canadian. But he's doing a voice like this. Don't know why. He, he, he sends a telegram to his nephew, Edgar Rice Burroughs. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> because that's who wrote the original book. I have to double check that, actually. I could be completely wrong. It, oh. could, it could just be a, a side reference that I decided to do for a joke. But yeah... Uh, he gets a message. He sends a message to Edgar Rice Burroughs, who gets off a train and is immediately greeted with the "Oh, he's dead." Yeah. Oh dear! So he arrives at. He did write him, by the way. I am correct. Oh, God. <laughs> if, if this is like, if this is how far we've come from the original source. Now this is sort of like a little in joke because people won't realise who the author of the bloody thing was to begin with. Yeah. So John Carter was obviously rich because he has got a butler and he has got this massive mansion yeah. that um, Ned arrives to, and basically, which makes no sense considering everything in the backstory in the middle. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Where apparently is a really poor prospector whose house burnt down. Spoilers. Yes. With his family in. Spoilers. But yeah, he's now apparently rich. Um, they, We get to see as they're walking through the, his property that all of the rooms are just filled with their ancient relics and stuff. That he's stolen from dig sites. and Yep. So he's a bit of an Indiana Jones. Either that or he's got a butler in his fridge like uh, Lara Croft. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, that pantry, you know. You've got to put something in the pantry, haven't you? So it's revealed that Ned has basically got John Carter's full estate. And they take him out to the Carter's mausoleum, which is actually out in the grounds. Yes. Um, but there's no key to get into the mausoleum it opens from the inside but how did anything get in there in the first place we'll find out soon yeah so in in the will he's given everything including a book yes which uh you know be a bit annoying oh by the way it'd be like me going oh i'm dead by the way here's my screenplay read it it's yeah. like, oh god do i have to and Fine. Cause I'd rather stay in a spooky house overnight. And because it's the 1800s and he's got nothing better to do, he sits straight back, straight down to read it, doesn't he? Well, they hadn't invented Twitter then, did they? No. And I, I think MySpace was around, but you know. <laughs> Once upon a time in John Carter's diary land. Yes, uh, essentially. This is the point where you think, oh, maybe we'll go to Mars. But no, we then go further back in time to Fort... Grand Outpost in 1868, mm. where... He enters a bar, which is quite a cliche. It's yeah. like, basically for Wild West. But the uh, barman is Bob from that 70s show, so I enjoyed that Oh, that's cameo. where I knew him from. <laughs> oh, I just realised he's in um, Santa with Muscle, starring Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I bloody knew I recognised his face. Uh, it's the old cliche scene where he walks in, he wants a drink, but the bartender's like, pay your tab. Haven't you had enough? And then the locals come in and threaten him. Yes. The, the two locals in this rather busy bar approach him to, to take it outside. So John Carter shows his natural fighting ability, which is very important to come later on. Yes. He basically <laughs> takes out all three men in one go. Then he pays his tab by laying down a piece of gold, real gold, with a weird inscription on it. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, so there is... Maybe that's how he's managed to pay for his uh, Wait, so mansion. The, so later. is this before or after Mars? This is before Mars. It must be afterwards. No, it's before. Oh, yeah, of course, because he just teleports. See, it, it doesn't bode well that you've seen this film twice in five weeks and we still don't no, really okay, know what's going no, on. Okay, it is before, in all yeah. fairness. Yeah, yeah. I, I do get that now. And then, you know, rather than sitting down... Just as he's about to sit down and enjoy himself, then the Popo turn up. Yep. The US Army. Uh, Brian Cranston. Yeah. Doing a bit of very quick dirty work for the cash. Yeah, and he's Colonel Powell. And he basically says that John has to come to the fort, please, with the soldiers. Um, um, and he refuses to. He swings at him and then suddenly cuts to him tied into a chair. Yep. Now, <clears throat> I really like this next bit. I did, yes. I thought it was like a really funny way of carrying the story on because there's got to be a bit of an exposition dump going on here. Yeah. And I think Andrew Stanton, who directed it, uh, or whoever, did a really good job of making it go by by having these little bursts of action. Yeah, so as they're halfway through giving the exposition of basically he has to join the army because they require his uh, talents when they're attacking, when they're going to defend against the Apaches... As they're halfway through this exposition dump, he just flies out the window. Yeah. like He throws himself out. Then we cut to him landing 
in a prison cell yes. um, where they're still talking about the exposition. <laughs> and honestly, like this, so far, I am on board for this film. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm interested. Sh- you're showing me stuff I like right now. Yeah, I think they have done more than enough here because there's enough intrigue going on. Yeah. Um, if anything, I'd wish they'd told a story where we didn't have to go to Mars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I don't mind the Mars stuff coming up, but I wish there was another story here than yeah. the sci-fi stuff. But um, Brian Cranston's saying that, you know, you owe your country, and he says that he doesn't owe them shit. Then we cut to um, a flashback of John, and it's, it's it- from his viewpoint, and it's a woman... Saying, "Wake up, sleepyhead! Supper's waiting for you." But then, when he actually wakes up, uh, he's still in prison. Yes, um, it's his wife. It is his wife. It's yeah. his wife. Of course, it is. Yeah, everyone knows uh, that. I, I think we try and build up the intrigue. Go, who is this woman? It's his wife. It clearly <laughs> is. <laughs> and also, by the end of the film, all of these flashbacks they haven't really revealed that much. I don't think. Like it, mm. kind of it shows where his character's coming from, but it's not particularly. You could have done the whole film without it. Well, we have a lot of these films where it's a dead mum or a dead dad. Yeah. Maybe it's dead wife, dead yeah. kid. Yeah. It's the same flavour. But normally Disney wouldn't bother hiring the actors. They'd just tell you it was a dead kid yeah. or a dead wife. <laughs> so I suppose at least we've had the luxury of seeing them. Uh, yeah, spoiler for later, they're both dead. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, but he manages to escape. I think he has a bit of a scheme. Yeah. I think it involves him having a wee, doesn't it? Yeah. Is it that one? Yeah. Yeah, so he, he's pissing out the side of the jail cell and the guard comes over and honestly when I first heard it I thought he said oi I gave you a fucking <laughs> but he actually said I gave you a bucket but that's what I heard <laughs> different film different so film. as he's escaping then uh, Native Americans start, Apaches Apaches they start chasing they they're attacking from the opposite direction yeah so John Carter finds himself in the middle of a line of uh, Apaches and a line of the white men the cavalry. Yes. And he's sort of trying to squeeze tensions because he can speak uh, the Native American language yeah. as well. But then one of the cavalry shoots the other one and it's all at war. And in a weird little thing that just happens without any explanation, uh, him and Brian Cranston suddenly become... Busy mates. Yes. Jovial <laughs> enough to not have each other die. Yeah. Um, I think the colonel gets shot and Carter saves him kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. So, um, showing that he is a hero. Yeah. He's heroic and some might say inspirational. <laughs> and then we uh, we managed to... You could suggest that we get to tick off the animal cruelty bit on our bingo card. Because yeah, then as yeah. they're getting into, the ca- into a cave to hide, they slap the horse's ass so it runs away. <laughs> The horse might like that sort of thing. Yeah. Then the natives leave because they see something that they're scared of, mm. which is a the symbol from his gold, which is on a cave above them. Yeah. So it's a sun, essentially. Yes. Um, so they go into that cave to look around and find real gold in the roof. Um, and then one of the monks from Mars teleports into the room. Um, and he's got a weird doohickey, which reminds... Looks like a mini Sheikah slate from Breath of the Wild on Zelda. I've not played it, so I was just going to say, just looks like one of those Power Ranger medallions. Yeah. <laughs> Pterodactyl! Tyrannosaurus! Sabertooth Tiger! Mastodon! The other one! 
<laughs> and then the note I've put here is literally just I drew a little squiggly line, which I think was like your signature. I think that represented the whatever action happened next in a visual way. I can't okay. remember what happened. Serve as a fight with the alien monkman. Yeah, and uh, he manages to kill the alien monkman, or at least daze him enough. And the glowy thing in his hand lights up, so John Carter like goes, "Ooh, yeah, shiny! What does this do?" And he holds it, and the glowy man says in his uh, language, "Transport me to Mars." Yeah, and it takes John Carter instead. Yes, so John Carter wakes up in the desert, which obviously we know straight away is Mars, but he doesn't. Yep. Um, and he starts falling over when he tries to get up because obviously there's less gravity on Mars, which means he can kind of space jump. Um, I which... seem to remember a lot of people taking a piss out of this when this came out. Well, it doesn't seem to have, like... They can't make their minds up how effective he is at jumping in this film. Because, you know, some points he does his best and he can jump maybe as tall as a house. Yep. Then the next time he's, like, orbiting the Earth. Yeah, like... he, like, literally jumps up to take out a spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is quite inconsistent and relies on what's happening in the story, depending on how powerful it is. Like Super Mario, his only power is he can jump really well. Yeah. And uh, they... What oh, I think if, if only we played an orchestral version of a Super Mario theme, that's just jumping <laughs> up. If anyone wants to make us some fan art this week, it would be um, John Carter jumping into, like, a, a question mark block. Yeah. With coins coming out the other side. <laughs> but, um... Well, like... Coins bleeding out everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, with some bob bombs at the bottom of it. What's brilliant is, as we say, like his only superpower is because he's on Mars, he can jump really high. Yeah. So this film shoehorns in as many ways as possible to have him need to jump really high, <laughs> which is just... I think that's where the, the humour comes from. It's like, it's so ridiculous that these things have to happen. It's like Superman, but he bloody loves parkour. <laughs> yeah. But it's quite a funny little sequence of him learning to just walk. Yes. Um, but then it's straight from him learning how to walk again. He There's a rocky outcropping which he climbs up and is absolutely perfect at climbing. Mm. <laughs> so it's a bit like... They never explain either. Because very shortly we find out it's basically got super everything. He can punch very hard as well. Yeah. It seems to be like Mars itself has made all his human... Instincts turn up to eleven, which actually doesn't really make any sense. The gravity does; everything yeah. else doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't get ever get brought up either, does no. it? No, how he manages. But yeah, in this rocky outcropping, he sees these strange shapes um, in the ground, <clears> and when he moves the rocks, it's actually a window, and inside he can see all these alien eggs hatching. This is just a weird sequence. <laughs> <laughs> it, so you get if the eggs start hatching, and you get all these green blobs start moving about, crying all that lot, and it just. I don't know. I reckon they should have been a bit cuter. Yeah. Especially with what they go for in a minute. They're trying very, very hard to do a lot of world building in a very short space of time. Yes. I wrote down that at this point, considering everything that's happened, we're only 23 minutes into the film at this point. I just put, calm down. It's an exhausting film. Like, bear in mind, what do you say, around two hours 10-ish? Was two hours film? 11, yeah. Every single scene is like maybe three minutes long each. Yeah. Even the big action sequences. And every are... scene has a data dump of exposition yeah. every single time with words you don't understand and 
I I spent this film took so long for me to watch because after every piece of dialogue, I had to pause and rewind to check what they'd mm. actually said every time. Yeah, the thing is, I can see the appeal of a film like this, but it's not the sort of film you spend two hundred fifty million on. It's a very niche. Oh yeah, a very niche. I play RPGs in my spare time sort of audience. Yeah, it feels like it could have been two films. Like it just that to me, it feels like. They somehow they somehow had three films of information in a film that is only half a film. Yeah, <laughs> but we'll get into well, yeah, that very true, later I suppose, on. Yeah, it's very weird yeah. how the dynamics at work here because it feels like everything and nothing at the same time. Yeah, but then um, we see that Carter's dropped his uh, magical doohickey that transported him here. Yep, and we see a creature picking it up with a fishing rod. And it's this other group of aliens that were called the... Began with a T, did it? Um, Topanga. Have <laughs> <laughs> you been watching Boy Meets World? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, so the alien race, um, they're kind of quite gangly. They've got a few extra limbs and they've got horns, like tusks growing out the sides of their Just faces. like me. <laughs> And, uh, but they're led by a bloke called Jeddak. Sure. Yep. And he stops them from shooting at the strange human-shaped thing. Yeah. And he goes up instead, and there's a whole bit where it's like me when I met Daisy for the first time, and I sort of like tried to coax her in a bit. Yeah. And uh, tried to understand more about her, but it didn't go well. There's this really awkward scene where they're introducing themselves, and... Obviously, we don't understand the alien language at this point, mm-hmm. and neither does John. And the alien kind of points... Did you, get, did you get subtitles? I had to put subtitles on because I was so lost without them. Oh, they normally hard-coded in. No, <laughs> Bloody Disney+. Plus. No, as in they were, they were there. Oh, they were there. They were there. What I mean is I don't normally watch a film with subtitles, and this is the first instance of this podcast where I've had to put them on to know what was happening, what oh, people were right, saying. Yeah. Not just because the words were nonsense words, but also because a lot of the lines were delivered really badly, mm-hmm. um, so you couldn't actually tell what was happening. Um, but this scene I thought was hilarious because, yeah, this alien puts his hand on his chest and says, Jeddak, which is, you know, the inter- the universal sign for telling someone your name, to which then John goes, I'm Captain John Carter of Virginia. And it's like, calm just, down, mate. Like, just say John. And then from that, the aliens think his name's Virginia for yeah. the rest of the film, which is not a very funny joke. And it's, I'd argue, is very confusing when you're trying to like a character but he's got about six different names. Yeah. Because he's, <laughs> because he's referred to quite a lot as Captain Carter as well. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying every time you talk to him, you should go, John Carter, there's a problem. Come solve this, John Carter. But no. I think, especially when you're trying to launch this big tempo film with this character that I assume he wants to do loads with, you've got to stick with one name. And then the aliens soon, they give them their own give him his own name from them as well. Yeah. Like, he gets a title from them. So there's so many different names for this main character. And John tries to shoot the Jeddak, but he gets sniped. Yes. Um, well, he gets uh, tranquilized. Ch- yeah. And uh, as he's lugged away, they also, the aliens casually kill all the baby eggs that haven't hatched yet. Yeah. So bloody impatient. 
Aren't they just? Yeah. We cut straight to a princess who's practicing a speech. Yeah. And the rest of her, like her dad and some people turn up. Yes. King, Kingy turns up uh, to say that the baddies are destroying their armies. Yeah. So if a princess was going to rehearse a thing about uh, helium, which is where they're from, that one's easy to remember, that name. Yeah, because that's a real word. Yes. About if it falls, never mind, because they've discovered this blue light thing called, and I think I know it down later on, or where is it? The, the ninth, ninth ray. The ninth ray. But I've written the ninth ring here, which is obviously what I heard, but it is ray. Yes. I, I thought it was called blue light. <laughs> But the, I kept having blue light for some reason. The ninth ray is never fully described or explained what it is. Cause or expanded there's, upon now. There's a point later on where the ninth ray could be a location that they visit, but it could also be the weapon that this guy's been using. Or it could kind of refer to the doohickey that's I'm, taking them to a, another I'm planet. sure so, it's used as a weapon right towards the end. Yeah. But... So I, but then I don't get what she's on about earlier on about how it would solve all their problems. Basically, the princess's objective for the film is to find out more about the nine rays. Yeah. The nine rays. By the end of the film, I would say she has not achieved that. No. <laughs> this is obviously what the plot for the next film would yeah. have been. Uh, but yeah, so... Fuck it, who cares? It, it, sorry, Mario, but the princess is in another castle, mentally. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the bad guy is basically saying that he will he will let Helium survive if the princess promises to marry him. And I was just like, oh, for fuck's sake, here we go. To point out, this was written in the 1800s. Which, yeah, makes this, more this, sense. This was probably seen as very exotic. Sorry, and if, I'm already on to my second alcoholic ginger beer of the evening. That bad, eh? <laughs> Back then it was probably exotic, like, yeah, forceful marriage, get in. Mm, but it, when you're adapting it for a modern audience, you could have changed up a little bit. It, it, I was thinking about this. If I was doing it, I would have changed the genders of both the bad guy and it, I would have the son have to marry some evil woman. Yeah. Just, oh. just to do something different. Because it, this whole, yeah, like, marrying all that, like, it does feel very archaic or even like obviously it's set on another planet so whether or not you could make arranged marriage kind of a thing that she's already having to fight against yeah. or something but it's literally just this pervy old man that's decided that he's got to marry it or just make him like a grotesque pig monster so it's like well yeah of course you don't want to marry that <laughs> and then dad is a dick because he's decided that well if that's all it's going to take for my city to be saved then my daughter has to marry this creep you just know we like in the real world he'd work for the council, just throw everyone under the bus so we can keep his high paycheck. Yeah, that's leadership for you. And then Dad tries to uh, say that it's the will of the goddess for this to happen, and she's like, "Fuck off! No, it isn't. It's your will." <laughs> yeah, your will, you fucking coward. Go to a war or something. Yeah. Then we go back to John, who's arriving at this uh, stone city, which is the city that the aliens live in, um, and it basically looks like Geonosis from Attack of the Clones. Which technically came out a decade earlier, but as you say, if George Lucas was nicking all of his ideas yeah, from the novels. This is pretty pilfered. Yeah. I'm sure it is. So in this scene, it's like a game of Scramble. Did you ever play Scramble at school? Oh, yes. Yeah, yep. they, they chuck all the babies on the ground <laughs> and people go, Dibs! Scramble! 
oh, got... Daisy didn't like that. Oh, sorry, Daisy. I've not played Scramble for years. <laughs> I, I, I might, you know, try and move that back. You used to do it with pe- other people's pogs. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you just like, <laughs> nick someone else's pog and go, Scramble. Yeah. But yeah, uh, so this is for babies and in this case, John Carter and all the... Oh yeah, because they put John Carter in the... Yes. As a baby, and say who wants this one? <laughs> yeah, who wants this white worm? As they actually call him. Yeah, and uh, no one wants him. Uh, Solar, who's a lady alien? Who's who is a lady alien? The Can... only lady alien. We've got two women in this whole yes. film. I know we've got three because uh, we've got the other lady alien who, as Solar's about to pick up a proper baby, she nicks it off him. But oh, that's can, right. Yeah, you can tell she's a bit aggressive and butch because she has extra horns. Yes. <laughs> And uh, instead, uh, this woman picks up John Carter, chucks a, him, to, uh, chucks it to Solar, and says, "You take this one." Yeah. So yeah, there you go. And then John sees the doohickey on a man's belt, so jumps at him, uh, but that doesn't go very well. And to add to the plots here, so I think the person holding the doohickey is called Tal Hargis. I think I got the name right. Who basically quite fancies that throne. For this alien species. Now I'd completely missed that plot point, but yeah. it comes back later. Now you've said that because he wants to kill off John Carter right away because you say about the doohickey. So yeah. John Carter jumps, goes for it, uh, comes up to nothing. He fucks it, yeah. and he basically wants to kill it right away. But the prince, king, however you want to call him, I didn't get his name. No, says no. We should spare him, and the other guy's like, "Oh, I'll get." You for this, and they lock horns, don't they? Being like, like literal uh, horns. Yeah, like a lot of uh, wild animals do. Um, and I actually wrote that I quite like this because it's great that there's a connection between the design of the characters and the storytelling. Yeah. So I did think, like, clearly behind the scenes, there is a lot of effort being put into this film. Mm. It looks quite good. I didn't mind, like, visually, it's quite interesting, especially up until this point, at least. Yeah, because in all fairs... There are a lot of positives. Everything you see here, it's quite clearly a passion project for a lot of people, and they're yeah. doing everything they can to make this work. Although it costs a lot of money, you can see that money on screen. You can, yes. Which is good. The problem is, as we'll probably get into later on, is it's 2012. <laughs> now, if this film will come out 40 years before, maybe, but... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but moving on. And then completely unrelated to what's written on on the other side of the page, I just wrote at this point that I wish I knew what characters were saying because I don't know what's going on. Uh, Maybe you should pay more attention. In, you know, I honestly could not have been paying more attention to these <laughs> these films. Like literally clockwork orange style like matchsticks on your eyelids so you <laughs> have to stare at the yeah. screen. Yeah, I've cursed you like put like, uh, water drops like... Uh, in your eyes so they don't dry out. That's how you watch this. Yeah. So, uh, later on... Oh, well, we have a bit with a process for babies through, I believe. Yeah, John Carter gets a spa day, doesn't he? Yes, he does, yeah. So he has talcum powder thrown at him and everything like that. And he gets sheep dipped. <laughs> yes. The old molasses. And then he's chained up at night, but left to his own devices yeah. in it. So he tries to escape, um, I, literally by just pulling the shackles out of the wall. Yeah, again, he has superpowers. It's not actually established why he has superpowers, but easy enough to look just like, bling, okay, I'm getting out of here. Yeah, and uh, as he's escaping, there's this um, big kind of alien dog. Monster doggo. Yeah, that has super speed, so... 
He's like Mario if he's got a mushroom in Mario Kart. Yes. <laughs> and the dog obviously takes a liking to Carter. And as he's trying to escape, he uh, runs across a alien orgy. orgy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably wasn't an orgy to prefer, just like Disney version. Yeah. Um, then the dog jumps into the party. Like all enthusiastic, knocks everyone about, yeah. pisses them off. And people poke the dog, which Carter doesn't like, so he kills a man with one punch. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Very, because he's super powered. Very kung fu of him. Yeah. I bet you, uh, what if you could do like that one inch punch that you got in karate? Have you, have you ever seen that? Oh, yeah, yeah. You just like literally like that, bang. Yeah. <laughs> but I bet he could do that. He, he defo could, yeah. Because of, you know, Mars. Because of reasons. Um, then, yeah, he gets captured again. Yep. And the next day, uh, he's punished by, by, by with a brand. Yeah, and so is Solar as yeah, well. Yeah, as but his mum. I don't really... Yeah, apart from being responsible for him, she's not really... Yeah, that, but that is the reason why she's yeah. branded. You know, she should have kept control of him. Yeah. And then as they're about to brand Carter, then flyers arrive, which are... The, which is the term they use for sort of spaceships in this, isn't it? Yeah. Are these like the individual ones? No, it was the larger ones. Oh, the, the, warships. the, the larger warships, yeah. And I thought visually it just, because they look so similar, I thought it was all bad guys coming to attack them. Yeah. But it turns out that what the f- first ship is good guys escaping the bad guys. Mm-hmm. But I did not know this until later yeah. in the film. Oh, I forgot a very important note here. So at the end of the scene with, the, uh, with him saving the dog... Um, I think it's Tal Hajus says something in English and John Carter understands him perfectly. Yeah, and it's never explained how this happens it's, either. It's never explained how it happens and from here, this point forward he understands everyone. Yeah. And it's never explained and no. it's very weird. <laughs> Someone says at some point if you... They kind of brush it under the carpet by saying if you want to hear it, you will hear it. It's like... That's not how language works, love. <laughs> well, bollocks. Like, when I went to Germany, I wanted to understand what the lady yeah. behind the counter at McDonald's said. I wished for it. Didn't happen, though, did it? All these bigots and racists over here that don't like people speaking other languages, they want to hear English and they can't hear it. Yeah, exactly. They can barely hear English. Yeah. Yeah, so it turns <laughs> out the baddies are being chased. The goodies are being chased by the baddies, but there is a an issue with the visual design of this film which is that the goodies and the baddies basically look the same yeah the only difference is the goodies all have red tattoos which makes them look more like baddies yes and <laughs> they're also all completely tanned as fuck therefore yeah. you cannot make out most of the tattoos no um, it's a bit of a weird character designer but yeah all their armour is very similar designs all their weapons ships Cities all look the same. It's very confusing. Yep. Um, but anyway, um, it's essentially the the princess is literally physically running away from being married. Yes. And the bad guys are physically, literally chasing her so that they she will marry yeah. the bad guy. But what she does is she physically, literally gets into one of their costumes. Disguises yeah. itself on, the spa- on their spaceship and brings it down from within. Yeah. But as she finds herself in danger, John Carter, then suddenly he can jump about 600 foot in the air. Yeah, from the ground he jumps into the spaceship to attack it. Yes. He? Which is not what we've seen previously. No, <laughs> no there's been no precedent set here. He's, he can suddenly jump 
so far, it makes you wonder when he tried to escape the night before why he didn't just jump and be literally on the other side of the planet. Yeah, I literally put his jumping ability gets ridiculous at this point. Yeah. He steals the princess's sword to fight on her behalf, yeah. assuming that she can't fight, but then she proves that she definitely can. Yeah. I wonder if this was in the original novel. She's like, wow, mind-blowing, a woman Probably, who can fight. Yeah, it might have been. But yeah. again, it's just like, well, yeah, it's it's 2012, you know, she probably yeah. can fight. And then, so in previous scenes with the alien race that I can't remember the name of, um, they mentioned that basically this fight between the hu- the human-looking species is not their fight, and they don't want any part yeah. of it, and they want to stay out of it. But then, at this point, they start shooting it at them for no. Basically, I think it's like because they're threatening their land. Cause, kind of because yeah. they're flying over it, they have to protect it. Yeah, um, but then later on, they go back to saying that it's not their fight and they don't want anything to do with it. But they've kind of they're got just themselves pro- involved at this point. I think diplomatically speaking, they're just defending their own territory. Mm. They're not actually getting involved on any side in this fight. But baddies don't think like that, do they? No, they don't. Um, but yeah, the princess eventually surrenders. Um, like quite willfully to the aliens. To the aliens, because the bad guys leave once the aliens, uh, once the alien species start shooting them with handguns from the ground yep. at their spaceship. <laughs> well, they like pick up some rocks. Like, yeah, it's like pew pew pew, and they're like, oh dear, we better leave. Watch out, he's got a plank of wood with a nail in it. <laughs> yeah, so the aliens say that John needs to fight for them, so they're basically doing the same as the cavalry did. Back on Earth, yep. which he takes a dislike no, to. No, he, he, he doesn't want to fight for them, and he wants to get off this planet as soon as possible, basically. Yeah. And then there's like a long extended bit with him and the princess. Right. Well, where, yeah. Where she wants to know the weaponry he's using that gives him the ability to jump so high. And he's like, I don't know. Well, before that, um, yeah, so John basically says, no, I will not fight for you. Then instantly the, the leader of the alien says... If you don't fight for me, I can't be sure of... I can't guarantee the princess's safety. And straight away, John's just like, oh, all right, then I'll fight for you. Like, that's it. Like, mm. So this woman he's never met, he's now completely in love with, having never even spoken to her. Well, that's one way of doing it. It's like Tinder's another way, so yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they're mourning the dead. As you say, they, were t- they have a bit of a conversation about how he's so super powerful. A bit of playful banter. Oh, yeah. like playfulness, as uh, I think Solar puts it. And then this is the point where they speak to each other about where they're from. Um, and this is when... They can they draw in the sand the solar system, yep. and by working backwards through, through the planets, they rea- they both realise that he, you know, Carter is from Earth, but he's not on Earth anymore. He's on Mars. Yep. And at this point, I was like, why has at no point in everything that has happened up until now has John once questioned where he is? Makes you wonder, doesn't it, with the aliens there? Like he's like, just like, he's thinking, hmm, they look like Martians. Wait yeah. a minute. He's so passive in this film to this point. He's not he's just reacting to things that happened to him. He must have figured out by that point there was something quite wrong. <laughs> but he's never once shown any kind of desire to like you'd think once he's here, his main objective is I need to get home. Yes. But we are now fifty three minutes into the film. <laughs> sure you can jump very high so why not yeah um, I thought this scene was a bit 
nonsense because they're trying to establish even more words for different planets. And I know it's like I know in German over planets so have different names and all that lot, but it's an unnecessary yeah. sort of scene to establish. Oh, yeah, you're on Mars. Just say, by the way, you're on Mars. That's why you can see Earth from here. They they do that. They they give all of the planets different names, but at the same time, they still call the sun the sun. Yes. Uh, because they have to have a reference point for the audience to understand <laughs> that what we're looking at is the solar system. So it's, yeah, it's very confusing. Oh, and at this point, like, John says to the princess, I am from Earth. Mm-hmm. And the princess goes, okay. <laughs> but later in the film, between now and then, she's decided that he's not from Earth and that he's lying. Because it comes up later on, and I don't know why. But at this point, she agrees that he must be from Earth and we need to figure out how to get him home. Okay. It's weird. This film doesn't know what the plot is. No. Characters don't have any intention. Maybe there was a lot of tinkering about me editing. Probably. Maybe that's what's happened. Um, So next we go to the Forbidden Temple. Yes. So that's the other thing is like they're now going on a mission which is to get Carter home. Yeah. So we're finally at that point where that's fine. So if the princess doesn't think he really lives in Earth, why has she agreed to go on this quest with him? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Not really, no. (laughs) And how does this quest go? I mean, we're only like 54 minutes in, so not very well. No, so they get, they're travelling to this cave, which is the Gate of Is, and you're not allowed in it, essentially. (laughs) But they go in anyway. If Um, no one's allowed in it, you'd thought they'd have some sort of security detail. Yeah, Sola takes them there. Um, and at this point, we see John and the princess falling in love over some hieroglyphs. They're just getting a bit. Close. Yeah, well, I mean, hieroglyphs. Whoa. Oh, yeah, defo. Um, Bloody bird with a pyramid on top of its head. Whoa. Yeah, crocodiles and. Yeah. That one with an eye and the one that looks like a walking cane. Oh. Don't start, Chris. Uh... This will be made explicit <laughs> on iTunes. Such filth. And of course, they both, they all get into trouble for going to the cave. So yet again, they get kidnapped by the same people that have kidnapped them twice already. They're a bit of shit at this, aren't they? Yeah. And then this is the bit that just, I really had lost it with this film by this point, which is Carter and he's getting told off by the chief of the yep. aliens. And Carter's response is, Sola's your daughter, isn't she? And I was like, where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> That's a very good point. I'm just trying to think. There's no earlier instance where he sticks up for Sola. No. Apart from warning her that if she fucks up again, that's probably it for you. And I had to write down... Yeah, I had to write down why... What the excuse was for him knowing this. I The only thing I can think is because he hides him away in a tent before giving him a bollocking, he figures out... That he's not doing it to protect him or to protect the princess. Yeah, but when when the chief asks Carter how he knows that, he says, call it father's intuition. And that's, that's again, just sweeping it under the rug. Oh, yeah. Carter knows. I mean, he is a dad. I mean, not anymore. Uh, but what's, it's that annoying kind of plot twist that an audience couldn't have figured out for themselves in any way. Like, it just is sprung at you. Um, I think... They could have made the twist, but probably shot the load too early. Yeah. I think this could have come up very, very later on when we go back and 
he's not on the phone anymore. Then you could yeah. phone it in there. I think they probably did it at a point where it didn't need doing. There was enough going on as it is. Yeah. Because, I mean, they escape again and then a whole other thing's going on now. Yeah. And then he says that um, us aliens have no parents but the Horde. Um, so how do you know? And this is where it all comes up. Um, basically, how do, and then Carter asks the chief how he knows that Sola is his daughter. And he says that her mother kept the egg and Sola is the last flicker of her ancient greatness. So it's like... There's... Oh, is that what we call it? Mm, yeah. So they keep setting up all of this kind of world building for things that are just completely not important to the plot. It's not really important that they're even related. It would have been important in John Carter, colon, The Gods of Mars. It, it would, yeah. Like, it's setting up all these things that are not relevant to this film, but could have been relevant to the series as a whole, it, and it, it's getting very it, annoying. It's very much a victim of its time. There were a lot of films around this period which I want to say was sort of started by the second Pirates of the Caribbean film, yeah, yeah. where they were more concerned with films setting up other films and actually doing yeah. something with the film itself. And I'm thankful this has sort of died down in cinema again now, it seems, but especially from like 2008 to like 2014 time, this was really bad. It's, got, it's got the Tomorrowland complex, which it is does. the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Tomorrowland was too busy setting up a franchise to be bothered to be a good story. Yeah, yeah. and therefore it didn't connect with the audience in the first place. I think it just sort of got really greedy in the world building here. What tends It tends to work best when the first film was, like you say, the Pirates of the Caribbean, that first film was not ever considered to be as successful as no. it was. So you've got you start with a modest story to tell with a modest budget. Yeah. And once you've got that initial story and then people are invested, yes, your second film it's not as strong because it is setting up for a sequel, but at least we've got all of our backstory out of the way first. Yeah. Correct. Whereas this is trying to have its cake and eat it by having all of this in the very first film. It's sheer impatience, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And as we say, like And and also just assuming it's gonna work out where not being funny, you know, I watch this film and I think, how did they ever think this was gonna work as a franchise? No. no. It's if even though it's two hours and eleven minutes long it feels like I'm trying to watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy on speed. Like, yeah, the times 4.5. Yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah, so as you say, they were in their tent when he's talking about this. Uh, they're thrown in and he basic, the chief lets them all escape and says to take my daughter with you. And the doggy comes with them as well. And this was the point where I had to put the subtitles on because I really couldn't tell what was going on. <laughs> yeah. So in the next bit, we get a bit more Star Wars, ripping off Star Wars, which ripped off this to begin with, like sand, desert yeah. stuff, and them riding along in the desert, and uh, Sola and John Carter figure out that the princess is actually tricking them because she wants to go back to Helium to start continuing her work on the ninth ray or whatever it's called. Yeah. There's another bit of dialogue that I wrote down here that made me giggle, which was... Um, as they're going through the desert and it's all kind of ruins, John Carter says, um, what happened to this place? And the princess's reply is, Zadanga happened. And I don't know what that means. 
Well, you know, Tim, Sedanga <laughs> happened. That was, it sounds like something that monks t- say to you in the streets yeah. as they're, uh... <laughs> they're chanting away. We've got, got a CD yeah. to sell with all the Sedanga on it. But it was so funny. Like, I, I laughed at that point because I was literally like, I don't know what that means, but I'm, I'm not bothered. Let's just carry on. <laughs> it's, it's like a Vic Reed spit, isn't it? Sedanga! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, Zadanga happens, so we're just going to move on. And then, yeah, so John kind of, they see another um, spaceship and because they're on Mars and there's obviously no, no fuel, everything's solar powered and they have like sort of wings that come out. So um, he kind of says, as he's wistfully, as he's looking up, that he's, they're sailing on light. And this is when the princess says, oh, so you're still playing the madman as if he's not from here and this is the point where it's like well you believed him and you're going on a quest to send him to earth despite not believing it and it's just like ugh. i think she's just having a bit of a strop yeah because obviously um he calls her out on not just marrying the evil guy to help save helium yeah which she rightfully says well it's they're still gonna wreck it anyway yeah but yeah it seems just odd as a whole. They're just trying to have an argument and it just doesn't go anywhere, doesn't resolve anything. Mm. Then uh, we go back to the baddies city for the first time in a long while, um, where it's the baddie talking to one of the monkey men. Can you describe anything that happened in this scene? Yes, I can. That's good because I literally wrote in my notes, I'm not paying attention to any of these scenes of Mark Strong and Dominic West in it. They... <laughs> They are saying stuff, and I am tuning out every single time I say it. So again, this is another bit of um, the the plots and the motives being swept under the rug to be made not important, because mm. the main bad guy says uh, to the monk that he doesn't get why the monk is making him marry the princess and why it's so important, and the monk just says, basically, it's to show dominance, and that's why you're doing it. Mm. So it does establish that, you know, it's the monks that are in control, Yeah. so that's the point of the scene, but also it's like, this doesn't, like the bad guy says, this doesn't feel relevant to the plot, and the monk's just like, no, nah, don't worry about it, don't think about it, it's mm. fine. Um, but yeah, when when he put, I, you know, I don't know why this wedding's so important, the note I put was like, me neither, mate. I yeah. don't know what's going on. And then we go back out to the desert. Well, maybe Dominic West just doesn't believe in sex outside of marriage. Maybe. What, you mean like the Church of England? Yes. As they revealed this week. Did you see that on Twitter? Uh, probably did, yeah. Anyway, it's, uh, all, it's all under the bridge now. Yeah, I don't care about archaic things like that. Anyway, back to this thing based on an 1800s novel. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we go back to the desert and we seem to like climb a hill or something like that. Where, thanks to his coin, his feet somehow activate a spaceship. Yep. And which, this is, yeah. Which, uh, then we get loads of CGI. They walk into this cave made out of that veiny blue stuff from earlier on. Uh, that uh, gave uh, Dominic West all the powers. Yeah. They walk inside onto a massive CGI platform. Where there's a solar, uh, a diagram of a solar system, yeah, all in place, and this is where we discover a lot more about the ninth ray. Because wouldn't you do know we? It? Do we though? Do we actually discover anything? Well, we talk a lot of bollocks, but from what I can establish, <laughs> they harness the power of all nine planets. Even I like to point out, Pluto is not a planet anymore, and <laughs> and by using this power, they can harness all the power they can get. But we don't say what the power entails, what it's for, for what cause. No. But they can harness it. And apparently th- seeing this um, 
She now definitely believes... The princess now believes that John is from Earth. Even though she did before. Um, and he, they kind of... They suggest that there's a communication method that... This is a communication method between planets. Yes. So John says that basically, you know, the most modern communication equipment he knows... So he says that basically he's been telegraphed here... And that, and so he assumes that then he's a copy of himself. Correct. So at this point, he's assuming that technically he's still back on Earth as well. He is, and he's just here as a as a spectral light sort of thing. Yeah. So I mean, what happens later on it is consistent with because yeah. spoiler right for the end when he ends up back on Earth he wakes up in the exact same position he was before with his beard longer and all that lot so he has continued somehow living despite having no sustenance along the way yeah um, so that is correct for what his theory even though it's just a random guess yeah is spot on but then um, the princess says that she needs extra charts and codices to understand all of this which means they'll have to go back to her city of helium convenient um which he's like nah mate you're just pulling me leg to get home again um and she's like well no i'm not and he's like yes and then the kiss and as they're kissing um john gets a flashback of kissing his wife and suddenly feels full of shame no uh, you know but then never does ever again no then as they're leaving turns out that monkey man is outside with an army of Urukai from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, so this is another breed of alien that looks exactly like the other aliens, but these look, look a lot rougher. Yeah, if the others were orcs, these are Urukai, basically. Yes. Um, I don't know what that means. Okay, never mind. Don't worry about it, Chris. I have seen Lord of the Rings, I just <laughs> don't care. They, John has another flashback to his house being burnt to the ground. <laughs> because, okay, yeah. Um, I think he, he uses this flashback as um, as an excuse for a bit of manly bravado. Yeah. He, he justifies He's seen it. some shit, man. Yeah. And that's why he does what he does. He's been through some things, you know. It defines him. He, So he uh, decides, tells the princess to go away, run away, and he fights this whole army all by himself. Yep. And lo- loads of blue paint going everywhere because they bleed blue. There's quite an interesting visual piece that happens during the fight. It intercuts between him having flashbacks of burying the body of his wife and daughter. Yep. Um, and it's quite good. Like It works quite well. And it's shot so that if he's doing a downward jab with his sword, in the next shot it's the spade hitting the ground kind of thing. Mm. Um, so visually it's quite interesting, but... Yeah. It's still nothing, though, because why would he... F- I mean, of course, he's going to feel guilt. I'm not like, trying to say, oh, yeah, why would he feel bad? It wasn't his fault his wife and kid died. But it just feels like there needs to be a bit more of a crux of a narrative. Like, yeah. like say, something that he blames himself for. Yeah. Like, he did something or he that caused this. He's got to make up for it, like... He pissed off the Apaches. They burnt down the house or something like that. Because we never even find out who burnt his house down. If no. it was the army or if it was the Apaches. No, because... And they should have put in a couple of extra little images of him pissing someone off from either side of them. Yeah. They burned down the yeah. house for him to put the blame back on himself. But here it's just like... 
for a very one-dimensional character or two-dimensional at best. Like it, he doesn't need a backstory. He can just be an adventurer. That's no, not for what he does here. He there's no backstory required. It's just another thing they've put in there for world building. All we needed, uh, you know, we we had that bit at the beginning in the bar where we see that he's, you know, a reprobate that. Yeah, uh, we don't need to know. We don't need to know why he's a reprobate. We don't need to know why he's down and out because he, he's never really shown to be not enjoying it. In yeah, a way, so what people just sometimes are. There's no deeper, meaningful reason for someone to be down and out or a complete scumbag. Or, and we don't or need or to be reminded else. about it all the way through the film. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then another skyship turns up and goes pew 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 pew, um, and that ki- literally we we see the shot a shot of the. The skyship arriving, start mm. shooting the ground, then we cut straight to the fight being completely over, and every single alien was killed, massacred. The end. The yes. end of the scene. Yeah, but thankfully they completely missed shooting John Carter. Luckily. While they do it. Yeah. And off the ship comes Dickhead Dad. Yeah. And he said, the, by the way, the baddie's here, but he's not really bad. He just wants to marry you. Yeah. Against your will. The bad guy, to prove that he's not a bad guy, say gives the princess his sword and says, what? "You, you can uh, either marry me or kill me." And so then it's putting the pressure on her to then be diplomatic and mm. not kill him. Yeah, lovely guy, isn't he? Oh yeah, he is an absolute peach. Yeah. So then we end up back at the bad guy's city. Yeah. Oh yeah, and uh, apparently to unite the two cities, let's get married. Yeah, and then something I point I realised at this point was um, so John gets a new a new few bits of clothing at this point when he gets to the city they they dress him up a bit. Yep, and it's at this point that I kind of realised that I don't know I don't remember him going because he's obviously he starts off dressed like a cowboy, and then he goes from that to like bondage leather. Yep. And I don't really remember how that happens. And uh, then suddenly he's when something else. Like, I think, so the first bit was when he had talcum powder thrown on him. I think we dressed him up nicely in the interim. Yeah. And then this time, I think we just changed his clothes. That's not what happens in films when they fade out into unconsciousness. Some Someone changes him. He never, get, he never he, seems he, to need any suntan lotion, despite it being Mad Max, this place yeah. that he's living in. Uh, and he's quite... White. Yeah, he's, he's pasty quite, boy. He's quite Canadian. Yeah. He's not used to all the sun. Surprised he isn't just like a shower of freckles right yeah. now. And then a soldier for the army, bad guy army comes in, who we've not met yet, and says that... Who um, looks too similar to Dominic West, by the way. He absolutely does, yeah. yeah all yeah. the army guys look the same. Yeah, but he, they should have done better casting with that. And he says, oh, I hear you're incredibly dangerous, and he's kind of acting a bit weird. Then he whispers for John to take him hostage. Um, I was like, mate, this isn't the time for some kinky roleplay, right? <laughs> Sorry, Daisy wants to get out of the room. I better yes. let her. One second. So I'll, I'll, I'll cover this next bit. Oi, leave the carpet. Naughty. Uh, Daisy just gave a film 11 gems. Uh, I don't think she's invited back on the podcast. No, that's it. No more. No. So he, he um, manages to get John Carter out under the guise of him being kidnapped. And then... Uh, Old JC's able to jump with his superhuman jumping powers across. Did you just say old JC? Yep. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> ah, there we go. 
Maybe this is who he's supposed to be representing. You know, with the long hair and the uh, sort of carved out chin bone and everything like that. And that time when Jesus Christ buried his wife and child. Yeah, plus at the end, you know, when he comes back to Mars, that's his second coming to Mars. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, it's an allegory, Tim. (laughs) Is it bollocks? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, he uh, manages to see the princess and we uh, establish that we're going to fight for helium or something, probably. But, you know, she's also a bit busy getting ready to be married because they have to get married right now. Yeah. And uh, John, like, when he meets the princess, she's basically being held captive in a harem, which is not cool. Um, (laughs) But then, like, she does this weird thing where she says that he must bow to her, which I never really understood the re- relevance because I think to keep up the guise that he's some hoodlum and she's not being married against her will to the people around her yeah and she's basically like um, pretty much in the princess Leia kind of slave outfit from Return yeah. of the Jedi I'm pretty sure this was another thing that George yeah. Lucas ripped off to which like John Carter says oh you look beautiful and I was like come on not now lad like, <laughs> put it away lad <laughs> Um, and she says, "There's a loincloth there for a reason." And uh, princess says, "You know, will you stay and fight?" And he's still just like, "Nah." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but eventually, they say, "Och, olium obte." I actually wrote that down. Yeah, och, oham, octe, we just soon, which is apparently the magic words that will then make the uh, Sheikah slate go ping. Yeah, and uh, I don't know how she suddenly knows this fact, but this is these are the words that activate the uh, transportation coin, Power Rangers coin, yeah, medallion. I think is the right word. Um, and when you use it, uh, you end up with Zordon and Alpha Five. You do, yeah. Aye, aye, aye. That's the second time I've referenced Alpha Five this week. Ah, oh, very good. Do you think uh, Zordon is trying to find uh, five? five uh, Humans with attitude to jump very high <laughs> on things. Yeah, my mate James, when I was in school, he had the Zordon uh, base playset, and it oh, was nice. bitching. And I really wanted it, and it had a voice changing thing to talk into, and it genuinely did make you sound like Zordon. And I was very jealous. Yeah, I ever told you about my jealousy? How to this day I don't own a Megazord. I wanted the yeah. I wanted the nineteen ninety five original Megazord when it came out. And I was promised it right before I'd operations have my tonsils taken out. But of course, it was like the massive, biggest selling toy ever at that point. So yeah. I never did get one. So they didn't do a jingle all the way to get it for you? No. Yeah, I, I was about a reference, so I, I didn't get that toy. And look how I've become. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Dad. So you were so angry that you've turned yourself into Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> by going to the gym every day? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted a Buzz Lightyear, but I don't think I ever got that. That was the thing that I remember not getting. I, I got a Buzz Lightyear quite a few years later. I think it was like 23 at that point. But my parents were so strict when I was a kid that I was not allowed to watch the Power Rangers. I did not see any Power Rangers as a child, unless I went around to other people's houses. On, on the plus side, just think if you were born a few years earlier, you wouldn't have been able to watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because they're ninjas and they're dangerous. Well, they weren't over here. They were heroes. I know they were, but you know. <laughs> I actually mentioned this to Steve when we did uh, that episode. Oh, okay. Be- because the animatronics for Baby were basically the Teenage Mutant live-action suits. Yep. So, yeah. He didn't know about the Hero Turtles either. <laughs> If it was a yeah. half show, so then, it's all power. <laughs> so then um, 
Buddy comes in and's like, right, let's all go get married. Hooray! And then John, I thought them saying these words had activated his uh, Power Rangers belt and he transported somewhere else. But it turned out he was actually just hiding in the roof the whole time. So he, he was, yeah. Up. Yeah, yeah. So he, he was looking on. Then after the room's cleared, he walks out and then there's Mark Strong to go, zap! And then, you know, with the uh, blue wanking glove or whatever it is. John Carter in this film gets knocked out and kidnapped more than Giles does in Buffy. <laughs> yeah. In the whole run. <laughs> yeah, uh, I agree with that. <laughs> I know you have to get from A to B and you have to show some sort of character weakness, but JC's an idiot. Yeah. Just falls for everything so easily. Again, he's just, even at this point, he's still just doing what people tell him and going where he's told to go. And Unless that's his weakness, you know, like. Uh, Superman has kryptonite, and but JC here is just an idiot. Yeah, and then we get like the biggest, most boring info dump of the whole film, which is um, Mark Strong giving his bad guy speech of why he's doing what he's doing, which is kind of. And if this is of the background of the wedding procession, and my note here is, what is Strong banging on about? My favourite line from this whole bit, um, which I had to write down again, was, my name is Matai Shang and I do not exist. And I was just like, come on now, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Big feeling. <laughs> it's too late to be learning new people's names. It's too late for all of this. I'm it's, not loving it. It's too late for your fucking existentialist crisis. Yeah. Get to the sequel. And it basically, the whole plot boils down to... We're a race of immortal beings that are really bored and we just like to watch the world burn. We basically like to play Sim City, but in real life. Yeah. And it, but, but that is it. But it takes forever for him to tell you that. Yeah. Do you know the Sims? Do you know the bit where we remove the ladder of the swoon pool so they drown to death? <laughs> yeah, it's fat. Yeah. And then uh, he, he reveals that the instant that the princess is married, that everyone with knowledge of the ninth ray will be killed, including her. And it's like, well, do it now. Why bother waiting for the marriage? It's very weird, isn't it? It's also very James Bond film revealing his plan. Just like, just yeah. do it. And at the, and again, I've written it down because at this point, all we want is to get our hero to Earth. And we're just so lost in everything else that's going mm. on. Say we're lost in space. <laughs> did you ever watch the Matt LeBlanc one? Uh, yeah, I did. I had. The I, I, I saw it at cinema. I did too. I had the single on cassette. There was a single. Oh yeah, baby, it's really good. Oh, I'll insane. insert it here. There you go, what do you think? And the uh, copyright tape down here. <laughs> so next we have another bit that Star Wars ripped off, I assume. The flying pod racer bit. But do we? Well, it's not really pod racers, they just have a single sort of like flying machines going on. There's a bit of a big chase scene, isn't there? If you say so. I uh, haven't written that. So. With uh with with uh John Carter going trying to get back to the alien oh, yes, land instead. Yeah. And here, 
we have, of course, a, a trademark of many Lucas and Spielberg films for Wilhelm Scream. Oh, I didn't hear it. The, ah! Yeah, I, I know what it is. I didn't yeah. realise it was in it. Yeah, it, this is in this scene. So, right. there, so there you go. So it goes back to the alien land where it turns out Jeddak has been overthrown. By the guy who was going to overthrow him. Yes. So yeah, there he, you go. His plan is that he's going to use the aliens as an army to attack, even though for the whole film they've told him that they won't. Yes. <laughs> um, it's like asking Switzerland to go to war. You know, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And then we get our proper Star Wars bit where he gets thrown into an arena, which is lit- visually looks exactly like the arena from Geonosis. And two monsters are set on him. Yes, that's right. The hook from this fight scene is the whole time Carter is chained to the ground so he can't jump up high, but he's actually on a really, really, really long chain. So, yes, he can (laughs) jump high. (laughs) Slightly redundant. (laughs) Yeah. So, unless their idea was we don't want him to escape, but surely we already know enough about him that he's going to go for it anyway. So, slightly pointless. But they did... Well, they had a go at trying to... Uh, increase the odds against him but you know it's just like well yeah it's quite obviously you're gonna overcome this so the fight is between it's him and Jeddak versus this white bear sort of monster thing yeah and in the middle of it you have this little bit where Solar finally gets her revenge on that other bitch alien because uh, he the, she chucks them both onto the arena yeah and uh, she's killed right away. Not Solar, she's fine. Yeah, this whole thing... So this is like the big fight sequence which was on all over trailers. This was the hook yeah. for the film. It's about three minutes long. Yeah. After all that. and But it's not like it's rushed. It's the same sp- speed of everything else of this film. Like, yeah. Just, there's just so much going on. They have to cram everything in, and it's still a hundred and ten minutes, uh, hundred and thirty minutes long. But they still can only manage like two and a half, three minutes for a scene. It's weird. It's a very uninteresting fight that happens as well. Um, like, yeah, I can't say anything actually happens here that I've not seen in many films like this before. This is a the whole like Colosseum bit. Like, if you're gonna do a bit in Colosseum, at least try and. Do something like Gladiator instead of just like going, yeah. This yeah, because Gladiator does a good job of like getting the camera right down to their level, yeah. the fighter's level, and you kind of there's a narrative following the fight. Whereas yeah. this is still like cameras flying around all over the place and just not very it's, interesting. It's stuff and things going on, and they don't even have enough time to establish the geography of the Colosseum itself. No, you don't even really get to see apart from a couple of crowd scanning shots. No. What they're fighting in. That's the we- that's where like I the think... se- the same scene from Attack of the Clones does so much better because you're able to keep track of you know there's characters that are chained to posts in the middle whilst other characters are elsewhere and you can carry on the the narrative. Yeah. But this is just I think nothing's happening, but you still don't know. I think this is where the film falls down quite a lot on because can you describe to me what this the alien town, what it actually looks like externally. Can you even remember anything nah, about nah, it? No, not really. And I'm sure there's a couple of establishing shots in there, but they've never done anything in this film to put over the sheer majesty of this place. The same for the the city Helium. We only see it a couple of times, but from very long shots. Yeah. We don't get to see the internals of how the city runs or works. We see no. like a couple of rooms and that's it. Like we but, get... I mean, that was a similar problem that 
some parts of Star Wars has had, yeah. but other times it's been a lot better. Even like Helium, they try and do a couple of stopping she shots, like to say, yeah, this is a bit of more of a futuristic type city, but they just there's not enough of it in this film. No, the shots that I remember are, that I can see in my mind now of the alien settlement, all, all the establishing shots are shot from inside the town, looking out as. John enters. Yeah. So we only see like snippets and just yeah, it's weird. It's and again, like we're we're on this alien planet, but I don't feel like I know what Mars was like apart from a bit dusty. Mm. Like, that's the main thing for me. My main get up is yeah, it's, there's loads of sand. It's quite like a desert. That's all I, I take from it. This is in terms of geography. This is probably close to Prince of Persia. Yeah. <laughs> than anything yeah. else, it's very weird. Um, so yeah, in in this arena, they defeat the white bear thing. So the guy that's taken over throne, he he takes exception when John Carter pleads with everyone to join an army to fight the other guys. So he jumps up to challenge John Carter, and he gets his head decapitated in one fell swoop off screen. Literally, not much build up to his character, but after two seconds, yeah, he's done. If Wolf from TV's Gladiators managed to <laughs> successfully navigate a Travelator, would you follow him to war? I probably would, actually, yeah. Yeah, you probably would. Yeah, yeah. yeah I would, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, this was really entertaining. Now I'm going to put my life on the line for other people. Like, it does. It, it's not a good enough excuse for the whole of this population to decide yeah. to go to war, I don't think. I, I might not do it if uh, Cobra did the hang tough, but, you know... <laughs> Or of Shadow did Jewel, but you know. I've just got this image of you and loads of other like Gladiators fans running in with those big uh, cotton wool buds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Into war. The good thing is our opponents were giant ears, so that helped. <laughs> Cleaned them up very nicely. And then we finally get our wedding, which feels a bit like a pantomime now. Cause... Oh, no, it doesn't. Oh, yes, it does. <laughs> because you can't have a good panto without it finishing on a wedding. No. So Carter and the army arrives, but it turns out they're at the wrong fucking city. Because <laughs> 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 the wedding is actually in Helium, not at the bad guy's place. And at just this point, this oh, why? They managed to fill five minutes with a misdirection where we should have just gone, okay, we'll go directly to the main city. Yeah, so there's another thing that's been set up is that the aliens don't like flying. So at this point, John's like, well, to get there in time, we're going to have to fly. And they all say no. So he flies to the other city on his own. Um, I didn't get any of that, and I've seen this three times now. (laughs) (laughs) But again, there's never any reason given to why the aliens will not fly. Just whenever they see a spaceship, they just go... I'm not flying. Because plot. Yeah, but it's not part of their religion, which we've seen other parts of. It's not part of anything. They just, they don't fly. Hmm. Um, So yeah, so John has to go by himself and he he arrives and tells everybody, it's a trap! Because uh, the armies are all outside and then we have our big fight, which obviously then the aliens do turn up. Eventually, yes. So the main headlines here... (laughs) (laughs) Is. <laughs> <laughs> 10 o'clock news. 10 o'clock Martian news. Dong. <laughs> Dominic West, he gets killed off because the blue wanky goo, whatever it is, 
um, somehow gets attached to his face because it's been it's been controlled by Mark Strong who's start, now starting to kill off whoever for the sheer fun of it yeah uh, he manages to get on his face and like crush it like crushes his face sort of a nice effect but yeah everything else is going on but uh, then when he turns his pays his attention to JC he manages to like wiggle it off but only because in the meantime the princess has chopped off an arm but it turns yeah. out he can transform into anything anyway so it's not like he's taking yeah. a limb off yeah then we uh, get a bit of girl on girl action yeah with the two princesses fighting because he's turned into the princess and they do the whole bloody cop action film where, no, don't shoot him. He's a real bad guy. No, don't shoot him. Uh, don't shoot me. I'm me. That's not me. I'm me. I, for this, once the final fight started, I kind of put my book down because I was like, there's no point in making any notes on this. So even though I was f- physically watching it with my eyes, I don't remember any of this. Mm. <laughs> John Cart has to choose between the two princesses. He guesses correctly. So then the princess turns into John Carter, and then one of the aliens sees John Carter and sees the real John Carter, and he goes in and swipes anyway. And in that moment, the blades come down, the fake one disappears into thin air, and the real one, he gets a bit of a close shave, there's a bit of blood, yeah. but, but he's okay. Yeah. In a really weird transition, suddenly, for reasons, the fight is over. Dong. Which it seems to happen in this. They don't. There's no climax. No, none of these fights have a, a satisfying conclusion. No, there's no definitive action that goes. Okay, that's the end of that. And that moves on. That must be a do. An inefi- a deficiency from the director, surely, because it happens in every single fight. It's I, not something that is likely to be editing. Surely, I'd say so. I think. Especially at this point, they've got an eye on that sequel. But to not do something that puts an end to this chapter is very, very weird. Yeah. And very miscalculated. So when you don't have anything to end your chapter with, what do you do? You get your main character to propose to the princess for literally no reason. And she says yes. And they get married right away. They do. This is when it was literally a panther. And I said like... Oh no, it isn't. They've jumped the shark at this point. Because it's just like so cheesy. Then it's the night after the wedding and John is restless staring out into nothingness and throws away his Sheikah slate because he basically says <laughs> that, you know, I'm going to stay on Mars. I realised at this point, like we're wrapping up and I was like, this is all his journal that we're reading, isn't it? it We've is, still yeah. got to get back to America <laughs> at some point. So this was the bit of a film I really hated. Right. Sheer logic. <laughs> you've got this magic coin, it can transport you anywhere. Okay, you've decided you're going to stay on Mars now, but what you have in your hand is a rather powerful weapon. You would not throw it away in, under any circumstance. I'm sorry, to me, that's like my EpiPen. You know, <laughs> for my peanut allergy. I'm not throwing it away because I'm suddenly satisfied that I might accidentally eat a Mars bar and I don't die from an anaphylactic shock. I'm not going to suddenly think, oh, that's okay, I don't have a peanut allergy anymore, I'll throw these out then. Yeah. He, well, I mean, he spent the whole film being a bit of an idiot, but this was by far the most idiotic thing he did. Yeah. And I think it was too much of a stretch in idiocy. And then it turns out that um, Monkey Man, who is still alive, yep. is in the room and he slaps... 
him. He basically slaps him all the way back to earth with, yeah. with a do his own doohickey. He just made it easy for him to do. And Fucking at, idiot. At this point, I put like, why did why didn't Monkey Man send John back earlier? Because John was never vital to the plot at any point in this film. Mm. If anything, he's a hindrance to all of the characters. So why didn't at the very first meeting when he was giving him the exposition before the wedding? Why didn't he transport him back to Earth then? This is pure me writing the sequel, but I think what John did played into the idea that all that Mark Strong and his species do is create wars and all that for entertainment and fun. So he wanted to see what a human on Mars could do just for pure shits and giggles. And when that narrative ended, when it was a definitive, oh yeah, he'll help save the day, it's just gone, okay, bored now, back you go. Yeah, so... But I I think that was to be explained. Yeah, to be fair. But when we get back, um, time has clearly passed on quite a lot of it because General Powell is now a skeleton. Yeah. So somehow John's body has managed to survive without being fed for multiple years. He realises he was told some information that might be more of these coins on Earth somewhere. Yeah. So he spends the next few years on expeditions and such with his army of men from his alien gold that he's somehow been able to keep, even though surely someone must have discovered him. Because I, I think it's about 12 years that he's laid there for. Because I think the diary begins in 1867. I might think this is 1880 something. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. So he's managed to keep all his wealth. No one's discovered him. And away he goes on his voyage to find another coin, which he does find. Yes, in the Orkney Isles. And he's <laughs> and it's all told by voiceover. And he says, this will explain my strange death. And I was like, well, not really. Like, nothing's explained your strange death at all. It's a strange no, death. Not really. And then he says that he stopped... It's Ned's job to stop the therns, which are the monk people, from getting his body. Because if they kill his body on Earth, then his body on Mars will die it's and I'm a, just an, an, an astral oh. projection I think is what we're playing into yeah but like why would oh, I don't I don't know why I, I, I like the idea if they built into it in this film or again in a sequel that there is a threat on earth at the same time as on Mars and how would he deal with both at the same time I sort of I like the concept of that. Yeah. But again, they could have saved this bit for the next film. There's some very complex plot points that are told to you in a single sentence at the end of the film. Yeah. Which is just like, sure. It probably but, works. I don't know how long the original novel is, but I imagine it's like this thousand page sort of bloody book going on. Yeah. And I think it works there. But yeah, and they then, should have cut a lot of stuff out here. Then Ned solves the world's easiest riddle to get into uh, Carter's um, mausoleum. But as it turns out, the reason why he's had to read this book and do this was to draw out the person's spine on him. Yeah. Who who assumably knew more information and wanted to discover how to project onto Mars itself. Hence why I was on about later films like that threat on Earth as well. I think that was to build into that for later stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but because he draws him out, John Carter is very much alive. He shoots the guy dead, and then uh, tasks uh, Burroughs to uh, guard the mausoleum of all his life. But while he's doing so, he should find a passion of his uh, of his own. He should fall in love, or he should write a book. Uh... Lol. And then we close out with 
the, uh, a logo for this franchise, mm. which only has one film. And the, apparently the franchise is called John Carter of Mars. Yes. So I can explain this one. Is this one of these things where the film has a different names in different territories? or No. This is because they wanted to call the film John Carter of Mars because it's actually a more clear explanation of what's going on. Yeah. Let's face it, John Carter, what is it yeah. as a name? You know, Star Wars, you know what you're getting. But the reason, and I hope I've got this right and I've read this correctly, uh, but I've read in a book once that John Carter of Mars was the title until 2011's Mars Needs Mums came out. Which was also a Disney Which film. was also a massive box office flop. I think that's in the top 20 biggest flops of all time. Right. And the minute that happened, they dropped Mars out of the title because they didn't think Mars was a magsborn enough word. <laughs> Imagine being a planet that's so shit you can't use it to sell a film. Like yeah. the whole planet. You know, all those Mars bars just piling up on the shop shelf. Right. So, yeah, so that's what happened. This, I think John Carter and Mars is the real title. And right. that's why it's bookended here. But for marketing purposes and because of a crappy uh, animation that no one wanted to see, uh, that's why it's called just John Carter. It reminded me of how at the very end of the um, female-led Ghostbusters, the logo... Ghostbusters <laughs> of Mars! <laughs> <laughs> no, because it says um, Ghostbusters answer the call, doesn't it? it and does, like yeah. since it came out, that's what it's always been known as. But it was actually just called it Ghostbusters. Was, it was just Ghostbusters. Yeah. And to me, it's still just Ghostbusters. I mean, I'm not a big fan of that film. I don't like any of the Ghostbusters films, to be fair, but it's, uh, it's Ghostbusters. I prefer it to the male-led ones, um, but I always think uh, Answer the Call is a bit of a really weird name. I don't like that as a phrase, but that's just personal reasons. I yeah. just don't don't think it works. But anyway, yes, that is the film. It is indeed. <laughs> So, did you enjoy yourself, Tim? What a load of bollocks! <laughs> but I did enjoy it. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> As so, you said at the beginning, yeah, yeah, you, yes, you go. You no, go. no, no, you go first. Uh, All right, final okay. thoughts, Timothy. Yeah. So, it was the worst example of a film to have a notebook in your hand whilst you're trying to understand what's going on and write down to remember later. It's there is so fucking much going on, but visually, it's quite nice it's not the best thing you've seen the visual design is interesting but not necessarily great mm. sound wise i can't really remember any of the va- sound that was going on any of the score so it's pretty unmemorable yep. it's the as we said at the beginning it's very much a sunday kind of film if i didn't have to be writing down the plot for this and just could just watch but then I suppose the action, saying that the action wasn't ever particularly good either. So maybe it's not a very good sun, Sunday afternoon film. I just... More like a Tuesday morning film. Yeah, it, it started off good. Like the world building was at the right pace for maybe the first half mm. hour of the film. I liked that there were little details with the alien species that they were establishing it. But then they were establishing as uh, the race but then the actual characterizations of the characters was very two-dimensional like mm. any any character in this film was interchangeable i'm actually talking myself out of this film i think <laughs> like, <laughs> oh dear. Um, as i say like 
watching it for the podcast was an absolute slog, which is colouring my clouding my vision a bit because I did have to stop every scene to then go back and listen to some element of plot. Um, yeah, fuck it, didn't like it. Oh, but didn't, but did. Never mind, eh? Yeah. So, my final thoughts. It's a weird one because despite everything, I do enjoy this film and I think technically it's underrated. I don't normally go for these mythologically heavy world building films and I thought there was enough in there to make it enjoyable. I think they tried to be too faithful to the text from the sounds of it. I've never Probably, read the book. Yeah. They should have left about half the detail out and concentrated a lot more on the film itself as it happened. But also saying that, I find this film fascinating more for a why-did-they-make-it sort of angle. Because the fact is, I believe this is like one of the films that has a record for the longest time in developmental hell. They have tried to make John Carter since before Star Wars existed. Wow. But because it was such a grand film with all these big ideas, I mean... It was $250 million to make. You can see on the screen. Yeah. You know, I think there's a reason why they had no-name people, basically, in, instead of, like, getting an Anno, a Brad Pitt, because they couldn't afford $20 million to add to the budget. They had to get in someone cheap just to get all the effects and all that shit in. Yeah. Um, but there's so much going on. The but, thing is, though, like, technically, you could have made... I could see an, a... This is interchangeable with Wild Wild West in terms of what capabilities you need to make it, almost. like I know that you can see a lot going on, yeah. and you can see the money that was spent, but there's not very little. There's very little that couldn't have been done in the 90s. Bearing in mind where computer graphics and all that there was, in order to get a film that looks decent, I don't think you'd been able to pull off these effects successfully. I know you wouldn't have done them as well, but I mean, if you look at things like Men in Black and... You've, you've, yeah, but wise, it, I think. It, a lot of that was based on real effects as well and adding CGI yeah, for finishing yeah, touches. I, I don't think you could have achieved that here, you know, like a whole race of aliens mm. and all that lot without it looking corny. Well, it would, I mean, it would have looked corny. I think this kind of looks corny. I still think it looks okay eight years on. All right. But the thing I do find fascinating about this film is I think it was released about 40 years too late. <laughs> I... um. I don't understand it because they still try and do it from time to time now. But you have these genres of films that have died out over years. So, like, the Westerns died out, the Buddy Cop film has died out. But, yeah, for some reason, these film executives will try and still drag out these sword and sandal films out as though it's still 1955. Mm. And I find it weird that there's this clear old generation of people and fans of John Carter, and it's obviously going to be much more middle-aged men who grew up with this stuff that are still so obsessed with this sort of thing that despite all logic telling them that audiences like you and me and like much younger people are just not going to go for it whatsoever. They're still going to go ahead and make it anyway. So this happened with Lone Ranger, it happened with Prince of Persia, that's just Disney alone. Yeah, And I, I just find it really fascinating that they will still try this to this day. And it's very bizarre more than anything. 
I hadn't really thought of the fact, yeah, you're right, that it is just a sword and sandals in space, isn't it? Yeah. And you can tell people were just so engrossed, people involved were so engrossed in the actual film itself, to the detriment of it as well, because from what I've read, Andrew Stanton, who directed it, had complete autonomy over the way it was marketed, which is strange to me for Disney. Yeah. So he did stuff like... He he wanted to recapture that magic of Star Wars where you didn't really know from the trailers what it was about. It was just like a series of interconnecting scenes. Then you'd be like, wow, I need to go see this. But again, that was 40 years ago. Even in 2012, there's already still so much coming out at such quick succession. Yeah, You're not going to waste your time on a simple chance, you've got to be sure. Yeah, Like all the billboard advertising apparently was really... Um, obs- not obscure, like really... It, it didn't give too many clues away when they should have done. Uh, the, the trailer, for some reason, even though it was a complete anarchism, had bloody Cashmere by Led Zeppelin playing. For right. re- for reasons. Yeah. All I can think of that one is because bloody Immigrant Song was so successful being played over Girl with Dragon Tattoo the year before. Yeah. But there's all sorts of these bizarre decisions going on behind the scenes to make the film in the first place, never mind the marketing, which... Oh yeah, we'll put Led Zeppelin over this bloody thing, but we'll take out of Mars because that's for nerds. Yeah, you know it's going back to what you were saying about trying to revive these genre films. I think go again going back to Disney with Pirates of the Caribbean. People told them that you know pirate films were dead at that point, and I think the fact that Disney managed to bring revive an entire genre, or so they thought at the time, mm. by making Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, I think they they basically spent 10 years trying to do that with every genre. So yeah, that's did. why you've got your Lone Rangers trying to bring back the Wild West, the, the Western. You've got this, which is kind of bringing back, trying to bring back Souls and Sandals. And it's also trying to bring back science fiction, which you could almost say sci-fi was kind of dead at that yeah. time, apart from sort of superhero films. I mean, the difference between Pirates of the Caribbean and everything else, and I hate to say as much as a scumbag, is Johnny Depp. You've yeah. got that one star in there who took that role and made it iconic right away. Now, not being funny, but there's a reason why Ta- Taylor Kitsch has not been in hardly any films since no, this. No, You know, he he's not a leading man, but yet he was expected to leave his $250 million franchise. Yeah. You know, no offence to the guy, he seems competent enough, but he clearly was not the one. And I think that's a big reason why this flopped. I think as well, Pirates of the Caribbean is the what one of the last sort of films before like stories just got so complicated yeah in in modern films there's 10 different plot points you've got to follow whereas pirates of the caribbean is very much a straightforward narrative almost and, and but obviously that first one was I think, yeah the later ones get ridiculous yeah and, and i think that's had a big impact on the way other films franchises have been told i i blame this one on transformers I, I, right. think, I think that's where the convoluted storytelling, but without it's convoluted where they do everything, but it's also saying nothing. Yeah. I think that's it was that 2007 sort of era where that began. Yeah, well, I've only watched the first Transformers, which I saw at the cinema and vowed never to watch anymore ever again. Uh, I saw the second film, it gave me a migraine as I was watching it. It wow. is in my top five most hated films of all time. Fair enough. So, in terms of gems, oh, yes, we should probably do that. 
Uh, what are you giving it, Tim? I mean, I've written something that I don't agree with anymore. I'm going to give it a six. Okay, fair enough. And that's ge- I think that's generous. I mean, I feel like, yeah, if I was hungover, I would have enjoyed this film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it a seven. Yeah, I, well, I'd written seven, but I've talked myself out of seven. I, there's loads of flaws, but fact is I, I enjoy it. It's not a perfect film by any means. I've doubt after seeing it twice in five weeks I'll probably visit this again for a decade or so <laughs> if I ever come back to it but uh, yeah I think it is very underrated for what it is I think sometimes people liken how a film does commercially to how it should how it is critically and that's just not true so yeah seven right okay well plugging that into the leaderboard um, that puts it on par with Baby's Secret of the Lost Legend at 13 points, yep. which means it's better than the original Parent Trap, but nowhere near as good as the straight story. I still think we peaked literally week one <laughs> with, with, in year two. Yeah. Never mind, eh? Right. So, technically, it's my choice for the next movie. Okay, then. Um, and I've already picked one. Uh-oh. We're going to a decade we haven't really covered very much, or if, at all. The 1920s? Perhaps. No. Uh, the... Uh, the noughties. Oh no, because all, all the ones from that so far have been decoms, haven't they? They have, yeah. So we're going back to the halcyon days of 2008, when we were at university. So neither of us really digesting our Disney films. Not really, no. Or at least I don't think you'll have watched this one. It's a star vehicle for a very well-known comedian. Oh, I was very worried about saying Zac Efron. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know, did, did he do any Disney films, actually? Like, high, proper Disney films? High School Musical. Yeah, but that's a deco- I mean, like a cinematic, like a theatrical release. I'm not sure if he actually did any Disney films. Oh, okay. No, okay. no sorry. Because he was very quick to get as far away from High School Musical as possible. I, I, I keep forgetting we're not meant to do TV films. How is Annie doing, anyway? <laughs> right. So, this is an Adam Sandler film, I'm afraid. Oh, for fuck's sake. I feel like, yeah, I just was trying to think of something that's very different to what we've seen. Oh, Tim, is this revenge for me, watch John Carter? I think we're kind of stuck in a downward spiral. I made you watch The Parent Trap again. Yes. Then you've made me watch John Carter, and now I'm making us watch Bedtime Stories. Uh, I've not seen it. Neither have I. Even the title sounds... Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, God, I can't... Got all this time in my podcasting career where I'm touching Adam Sandler, and here we are. Well, I'm hearing so so much good stuff about uncut gems that I'm gonna have to watch at some point I mean, soon. I, I might like, do it as a double bill. I like Punch Drunk Love. That, that's a good one of his. But oh, and I do like the Wedding Singer as well. In all fairness, the Wedding Singer is good. I really like Fifty First Dates. Well, I say that I've not seen it for a good fifteen years, but no, I used to like it. it. Yeah, fucking hell, Tim. <laughs> So where can people find you on the internet? They can find me crying in the corner after that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, on Twitter, at KidSwole. Cool. S-W-O-L. How uh, about you, Tim? I'm on Twitter, at TimblesRH. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, at PodWam. And we're also on Instagram, at WithoutAMouse. You can email us as well, at WithoutAMouse at gmail.com. Send us fan mail. Yeah, fan mail, pictures, whatever. Dick pics. Rate us on iTunes. We've got two reviews already and that's great. Give us a third one. I might write one one of these days. I might too. I should stop being lazy. Alright then, bye. Fucking Adam Sandler, honestly.
previously on the We Made This Network. Make it so, a Star Trek Picard podcast. And it does just strike me that there's a kind of parallel there in some ways of Picard as this man whose exploits are in the past. No one even remembers who he is anymore. Do you know what I mean? To some extent. I mean, there is a character in this episode, actually, uh, Rios says, oh, I read your book. But other than that, yeah. there's this sense that he's been kind of forgotten. He goes back to Starfleet Command and the, the young people there don't even know who he is. Do you know what I mean? Like, he has to spell his name for them. There's that kind of sense that he was this great man once, but time has moved on and the great men of the past kind of easily get forgotten and their advice gets ignored in a sense um and i can't help seeing a parallel there with these kind of uh you know 90 plus year old uh people who are still alive in our own world and who are you know trying to issue their kind of warnings from history in a sense um and potentially a lot of people are ignoring them and that kind of sense that there's a generation who you know we could learn a lot from one way or another Cinemortuary. And they decide, well, they better go investigate. So, well, Victor goes, oh, I'll investigate. You don't come along, Liz. You're a woman. <laughs> Women don't investigate. They stay in the kitchen. This but is Liz- man's work. Yes. But Liz goes, oh, what can I come? And Victor's like, okay. Well, okay. <laughs> because I'm ineffectual. <laughs> <laughs> I may fancy you. I have not decided yet. One season show. Jamie King. Yes. Who is she? Is she the host? She's or, the hostess. She yeah, the hostess. Oh, hostess, as he so exactly. And she's your stereotypical like think mean girls, blonde, like stupid, just ditzy. yeah, really but painfully again, ditzy. I promise to God. Like, how do you get through a daily life? Like, there's no way you got this job by yourself. There's no way you put on that dress by yourself. <laughs> I promise to God that the characters by the end of the show are going to be way different. Like, I promise you. Check out all of these shows on the We Made This Podcast Network. <laughs>